Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. This week's message comes from Pastor Tyson Harold, and we hope it encourages you to take your next step in your faith journey. Thanks, Lindsay. Uh, glad you're here today. If you have your Bibles, flip over to James chapter 5. We're going to conclude our series in James this morning. I hope you've enjoyed it. James is always an easy book to read, but it's a hard book to do what he calls us to do. And I appreciate the emphasis that we've had that it's humility in motion and that when we're humble and we allow God to work in and through us and fix the areas that are maybe not correct, it, it goes much better for us. And so today we are glad if you're watching online, we're glad you're here watching as well. But uh, as we jump into it in the 1990s, there was a show called Rescue 911. And Rescue 911 was basically put in place because prior to the 90s, everybody had their own individual uh, phone numbers for the rescue apparatus in their town. And 911 came out as this nationwide program to try and make sure everybody knew who to call if there was a problem. And so one of the parts of that was this show called Rescue 911. It was a reenactment of what had happened in emergency situations, and oftentimes they would interview the people who had 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 a problem and ask their take on it afterwards. Well, I loved this show as a kid, and I remember watching it. Uh, There's two particular instances that just kind of stuck with me, and and I'll explain why this is important. There was one kid out in Kansas. He's wandering around, and there's a hole in the ground, and like any good kid, he wonders what's that there for, and he starts looking. Well, then it all collapses, and he gets trapped, and they... They rescue him, and he's okay, and everything's all right. So just kind of stayed away from holes in the ground for most of my childhood. The second one, though, was much more traumatic. And there was a guy in San Francisco that was replacing a window. And as he was replacing the window, he was up on a ladder, and he fell off the ladder. Well, as he was replacing his window, they were replacing the sidewalk in front of his house, and he fell onto a piece of rebar. Yeah, don't think of it anymore. Somebody in the first service about passed out. But that stuck with me forever. Well, last summer, they're redoing the concrete around the, the playground and the, the patio in the back. And I don't ever get on contractors like, but I raised my voice at this guy. I was like, get those protector things on there before somebody falls on it. Because it just stood, stuck with me ever since I was a little kid. Today, James gives four situational responses that when you see these things happen, this has to be your response. And just like that kid in Kansas and that guy out in San Francisco, those situations have stood with me throughout my entire life. And if I've ever seen a hole, it's like, no, I'm not going there. And if I I see somebody that doesn't use those caps on top of rebar, I'm going to say something because it just stuck with me. Today, my hope and my prayer is that what James shares in James chapter 5 will stick with you for the rest of your days, because there are situational responses that James lays out that if you'll listen to what he has to say, what God's word has to point out, you will be better off. You'll be protected from pain. You'll be helped in times of need, and you'll know what to do when these situations arise. And so James chapter 5 and verse 13 says this, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other 
so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the faith, and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. In James chapter 5, verse 13, he really bookends the, the, the entire letter of James. If you remember, how does he start the book of James? He says, my brothers and sisters, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. So he starts out with trials or problems or trouble. And then the answer to that is not only to consider it joy, but the answer is, as he ends the book, is what? To pray. In James' fashion, he doesn't necessarily lay out the three things to pray for. He just says, pray. And prayer is one of those things that we struggle with, but our response has to be when it comes to trouble, it has to be prayer. Not text our mom, not post it on social media, not do any of the normal things we do, which are all okay, but the first response he just lays out is, if you're in trouble, pray. It seems like such a simple directive with not a lot of explanation. The other thing we have to understand about prayer is that you don't have to fully understand it in order to pray. And anyone who says that they fully understand prayer is lying to you. Because there's times we pray for things and it seems like God's going to show up and yet he doesn't show up in the way that we want. There's times that we pray and we completely don't get what we want. And so what do we do with that? Because this can make it so frustrating. James's response though is just to pray. If you find yourself in trouble, pray. So I hope that that's one that we all can handle. It's, it's one that we normally probably do anyways, right? If we get a bad situation, normally we find ourselves praying. So the question today is, why is it so hard to pray? Let me give you a couple of reasons. Number one, we have an enemy who does not want us to pray. If you are praying, you're in direct communion with God. And if you're doing it in the right way, we'll talk about that in just a moment, That is your best chance to defeat not only evil, but also to have any sort of success in life, is to stay connected to the Father. That's what Jesus did, right? He often got alone to pray because he recognized that he still needed to be in step with the Father. So if the enemy can get us not praying, the success level dramatically drops. The second reason why it's difficult to pray is that sometimes we get in the way. 1 Peter 3 says, husbands, if you're not considerate with your wives, your prayers are hindered. That sometimes our sin gets in the way of our prayers working. And and Peter just lays it out in plain form for us to see, especially for us guys. Like, look, even our consideration of our wives matters because it can hinder our prayers if we're not. And so for all of us, sometimes we get in the way, whether it's our sin uh, or, or other ways in which we get in our own way. Interesting, in 2017, Barna did a study, and they asked Christians, they said, how, how often should you pray? And they, there was a response to that. And then, is prayer a private thing or a public thing? 94% of the people said it's a private thing. 6% said it's a public, or it could be both. The problem with that is the New Testament, where you see over and over and over again, especially in the book of Acts, that they came together to pray. I think one of the reasons we struggle with prayer is we've made it so inclusive, so private, which it is, and it's okay, Jesus got alone to pray, but he also prayed with other people, is that we've robbed some of the power of community. 
No wonder it's hard to connect with people. Not only do we have our own pride, but the fact that we, we struggle even to pray together. And so I think that's another reason why we, we struggle with it. The other reason is we think it's just for request. We treat prayer like it's a genie in the bottle. And if we say the right things, we get three wishes and everything's okay. But that's not how prayer works. If you remember, some of you may have had acronyms like ACTS, which was adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication, right? There's an adoration or a praising of God that's a part of prayer. There's a confession that's part of prayer. There's a thankfulness that's part of prayer. And then there's supplication or like request that you can give. And the one big one that's not in there that we fail to mention often is that prayer sometimes is simply just listening to what God would want as we read his word and we ask him for what would be the best thing to do. And so when we narrow it down to only request, we really miss out on all that God wants us to do. Another reason why we struggle to pray, um, God didn't answer it the way we wanted, so we just stop. And I've done that, and, and I'm sure you have too. Or the other one, we just don't think we have time. I'm a busy person. I don't have time for that. Jesus, arguably the busiest person on the planet ever, often got away alone to pray. He knew how important it was. And so maybe those are some of the misconceptions you have today, but James is pretty direct and to the point like he typically is. If you find yourself in trouble, pray. We're willing to turn to God in times of trouble, but James reminds us that we should also turn to time in time, good times to God as well. Verse 13 goes on to say, is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. If you find yourself happy or cheerful or experiencing joy, he says to sing songs of praise. You may say, well, I don't, I don't like to sing, or I'm not a very good singer. Doesn't seem like that's a qualifier, at least according to James, right? Just says, are you happy? Sing. This is hardwired into our DNA. Tonight at the Super Bowl, yes, there will be a halftime show of music. But somebody somewhere along the way will do YMCA or Sweet Caroline, and the entire place will go nuts. No matter what team they are for, they will just sing it. Because when we naturally are cheerful or naturally are happy, it's just it's hardwired into us that that's our response is to praise. And James says that should be the way we should live. We oftentimes don't understand the word praise. It's kind of a, a, a convoluted term. It's to express gratitude, approval, or admiration. But James says if you're happy, then you should praise or sing praise to God. I love the definition of C.S. Lewis. He says, praise is the culmination of our enjoyment of anything. It's literally like a knee-jerk response to anything that's going well. And so if you find yourself in trouble, the knee-jerk response is to pray. If you find yourself there, things are going well, the knee-jerk response should be to sing praise to God. The good news is you can sing praise hopefully every Sunday here. You can do it in your car. You can do it when you're on your way to work or working out. It's not just limited to church. Although at church, we do sing songs of praise or lament, songs of confession or declaration. And I just want to encourage you today, we are so blessed to have Wes and Janae who help lead our songs of what we sing here at church. There will be about 700 people here today in total. And if you were to ask everybody, there's 700 different opinions of what songs they liked or didn't like. I don't like all the songs we sing all the time. Matter of fact, after the first service, Wes came and told me he doesn't like all the songs we sing all the time. But here's where I take a lot of confidence. No one prays or thinks about or engineers the songs that we sing more than this guy does. He thinks about it. He prays about it. He makes sure they're in line with scripture. And so even though it wouldn't be your favorite, can I just encourage you with this? Would you just sing? Because it's true. 
And oftentimes what I've found is when I walk in and I'm like, I don't want to sing this song. If I start to sing it, God will reorient my heart through the words that we're singing to get it in the right place. Can I tell you that's what he's doing through prayer? That's what he does through prayer. He's reorienting your heart to be in line with what he wants to do. So the question is, is prayer for us or for God? It's probably more for us, honestly, where we start to, to get in line with what he wants to do. If you're experiencing joy, praise. And the good thing is, is you're not, you don't have to be limited. If you, you have a song you really like and you wanted to sing this morning, we didn't get to it, you've got a phone, you've got a car on the way home and crank it out as much as you want. It's an opportunity to continue to praise. James goes on in verse 14 and says, is anyone among you sick? So at first he asks, is anybody in trouble? Then he says, is anybody happy? The third situational response he goes to, is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, admittedly, this one gets a little bit different for us, right? He says that if you find yourself sick, call the elders and have them pray over you and anoint you with oil. The idea of being sick here is not that you have the sniffles, right? It's that literally they would pray over them like the person's laid out in front of them, but it's bad, that you need some help. And James says, if you find yourself in that situation, call the elders, the spiritually mature leaders of the church, and ask them to pray and anoint them with oil. Now, anointing is throughout the Bible, but it's used for a variety of different methods. Some for consecration, some for spiritual purposes, some for healing. And so what are we talking about here? Is this like essential oils, olive oil, 530? What, what are we looking at when we think about oil? And why does it matter? Culturally and as a custom especially in the first century, especially among Jews, uh, anointing oil was a big deal. It was seen not only as a a sign of respect, but specifically olive oil was medicinal in value. And I think there's a lot of interpretations of this text, but this was the one that I landed on. You might come to a different conclusion. Is that James is calling us to remind us first and foremost that the answer for our sickness, if it's according to God's will, is first and foremost through prayer. But I also think that God works in and through medicine, and he does that at times. And so James says, look, not only should you do this and pray for one another, but anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. I think he's showing them that they can attack it with both prayer and with medicine. Some people have misinterpreted this, and they say, well, you just got to pray, and it'll, it'll all be okay. No, God works through our prayers. He works through medicine. He works through other people. And I think that's what James is getting at here. At least in the initial reading, it would make sense that it would go to the people who were uh, original intent for the letter, which was first century Jews. This would have been their custom. But I think it's still applicable today. Matter of fact, I was studying this with some of the guys in my Bible study group a couple months ago, and they said, have have you ever done this at church? And I'm like, yeah, we have. Not necessarily broadcast it every day, every way, but we have. And James goes on to explain in verse 15 why how this all works. He says, The prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, and the Lord will raise them up. If they've sinned, they will be forgiven. The important part, apparently, is not the oil, although there's nothing wrong with the oil. It's the prayer that's offered in faith. This is seen throughout the the Gospels. Think of the woman who was bleeding for 12 years. What did Jesus tell her? He said, your faith has made you well. It's the prayer offered in faith that has the chance to, to heal us. Now, this is, gets a little bit hard to understand because you're like, wait a minute, what do you mean by the prayer offered in faith? 
ultimately, a prayer that's offered in faith is understanding that it may or may not be in accordance with God's will. That's why he seems to answer some, and it falls right in line with what we were hoping for, and some of them it doesn't. It's because it's around his will. And so when you think about this, when Jesus was up in Nazareth, it said that he couldn't do miracles there because of their lack of faith. As I mentioned, there's two times that we've done this at our church. Matter of fact, Pastor John and I were just talking about this a couple weeks ago. About seven or eight years ago, there was a guy who asked us to come and pray for him. We didn't know him. He, he knew somebody at the church. He was deathly ill. I mean, this guy had one foot in the grave, one foot back up here still. And we, he was like, will you pray for us? So we prayed for him. And we're like, walking out of the house, just to show our lack of faith, walking out of the house, John and I are like, I don't think that guy's going to make it. He lived for seven more years. It makes no sense. And if anything, God was showing us our lack of faith. But yet, according to God's will, it must have been that that guy was to live for a longer time. And so this is one of those things where we really struggle, especially for you concrete thinkers. You're like, wait a minute, you say pray, we're healed. But sometimes he doesn't heal. So what do we do with that? I appreciate this. Uh, Paul prayed three times for God to take away his thorn in the flesh. And what did God tell him? Nope. My grace is sufficient for you. So you may be sitting here today saying, well, wait a minute. Why why even pray? Uh, Pastor John shared this about a year and a half ago, and I wrote it down. I thought it was so good. These are God's responses to our prayers. Number one, he may respond with, yes, I thought you'd never ask. For those of you that are married, guys, you, you, you've prayed this prayer and you didn't realize it, but God blew you away with a wife that you didn't deserve, right? Those are the moments in life where you prayed for something and you're just like, I have no idea how this happened, right? Yes, I thought you'd never ask. The second way he might answer is yes, and here's more. Once again, something that you didn't expect and God just graciously blessed you. But he also might answer no, because I love you too much. And this one I didn't understand until I was a parent that sometimes telling your kid no is not because you don't want them to have fun, not because you don't want them to enjoy it, but you just, you love them too much to watch them go through that. And that's oftentimes when God is telling you no, it may be for your protection. It may be for what's best. Sometimes God answers in a yes, but not yet. Right? I think of people who have prayed for family members or friends who don't know the Lord and 30, 40, 50, 60 years go by and then finally God answers it. Well, what's he doing? It's in his timing, not in ours. And then lastly, he may answer yes, but in a different way. And this is the one I hate because when he answers a yes, but then it's like, that's not the way I would have done it. And just yet another reminder that we're not God. James says, look, if if the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well, the Lord himself will raise him up. So it's, it's not even the prayer. It's, it's God himself doing the work. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. In the ancient world, sin was always connected to sickness, especially in uh, first century world. First John 5 says that there is some sickness and sin that leads to death. Think about the man who was born blind when he appeared before Jesus. The Pharisees asked Jesus, they said, was it this guy who sinned or was it his parents who sinned that made him like this? And Jesus is like, neither one of them. It's just he was born (laughs) handicapped. And so oftentimes in the first century, sickness and sin were so closely linked. And James says, look, if they've sinned, their sins will be forgiven. Forgiveness of sin is available to anyone always. And I hope you understand that today. 
that no matter how bad you think you are or how bad you've screwed up or what you've been a part of, Jesus Christ can forgive you. That's the hope of the gospel. That's what we celebrate every single week, that you can be forgiven. Matter of fact, Jesus is a better forgiver than you are a sinner. And so when you think of what God might be doing in your life, the forgiveness of sin is a big deal. It's interesting when you're down, sick, how you kind of reevaluate your life. Anybody ever had this? Ladies, I don't know if you know this, but there's a thing called a man cold, which is just brutal, right? It'll just knock you down, wipe you out. I'm just kidding. Although it probably is some... In 2015, I uh, went to Nicaragua with some students, and I got bit by a mosquito bite, and I had what was called the chikungunya virus. It's a real thing. I didn't make it up. And it attacks your joints, and it attacks everything. And for six months, I woke up every day thinking, oh, my goodness, and I literally have to crawl myself to the bathroom. And I hated that time. But during that time, I asked some of the most profound questions of God I think I've ever asked before. I asked, is there something I'm doing wrong? Is there, did I not do the right thing? And I was just reminded over and over and over again that, that sickness in particular has a way of attacking our pride like nothing else ever does. Because we are faced with the reality that we, we desperately need God's intervention. And so I think when James says, if anybody sinned, they can be forgiven, it's a reminder first and foremost that your sins can be forgiven, but also I think it's a reminder that if you find yourself in this situation, it's a good time to just do a quick check of how things are going. Do you have sin that's in your life? Do you need it? And he goes on to explain this further in verse 16 because he says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Throughout the book of Acts, we see over and over again, people were praying together, they were confessing together, they were eating together, it was just together, 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 together. In the Midwest, in the United States, it's all about me, 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 and me. And we wonder why we struggle so much. And so James says, therefore, confess confess your sins and pray together so that you may be healed. When it comes to confession, not everybody needs to know, right? You don't have to come up here and be like, guess what I did this week? But somebody needs to know. Somebody needs to be praying for you and with you. Somebody needs to be knowing you that well. And that's, that's kind of the whole push of why we do small groups and why we do other things outside of this room is because you need to be known together. That's how you we were designed to live. And so James says, look, confess your sins to one another and pray for each other so that you might be healed. I think it's a two-part healing. There's a spiritual healing, forgiveness of your sins, right? Restoration of a right relationship with God, but there's also a physical healing. And think about this. When you're struggling with something and you go to tell somebody about what's happening, there's a weight off of your shoulders, right? There's a physical healing that you're experiencing in real time simply because you had a conversation. And I think that we see this in Psalm 32. David says that when he was sinning, his, it felt like his bones were wasting away and it felt like his strength was sapped as in the days of summer. And so in our pride, we've insulated ourselves. And I think Satan loves to feed into this to where we just think it's about me and I don't need anybody else. But what James is getting at is that we need each other. Prayer and confession are meant to be shared in community. Not everybody needs to know but somebody needs to know. So if you were to wrap up James, you would find that humility is woven through it. And that the easy parts of humility are usually around like, oh, my words, like how I talk. And it's like, oh, I should do better at that. 
or I should do better with the way I treat people. But humility, the level of humility it takes to confess to each other and to pray for one another is like a whole other level. Matter of fact, uh, R.C. Sproul says it this way, confession requires humility on two levels. The first level is the actual admission of our guilt, right? That takes a, a hit at our pride big time, that we actually did something wrong. And the second one is that there's a humble acceptance of pardon. If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you are forgiven of all sins, past, present, and future. And you have the ability to have a right relationship with God. And for a lot of us, that can be hard to remember. Oh, we, we believed it the day that we trusted Christ. We believed it the day that we first started following Jesus. But man, you live long enough, it beats it out of you to where you fail to even recognize that. And so confession requires humility enough to say that you need forgiveness, but then to accept that forgiveness as well. And then James says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So the third response, first off, if you find yourself in trouble, pray. Second, if you find yourself happy, praise. The third one, if you find yourself sick or in sin, ask for help. It is not a time to go alone if you find yourself sick or struggling with sin. You need somebody else to help. And that's why God has put us together. One of the reasons why God has put us together, so that we might help each other. In verse 17, James gives us an example of a righteous person whose prayer was powerful and effective. It says that Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. I was reminded this week as I read back 2 Kings 18 and 19, if you want to read this account, but Elijah, if, especially in Jewish circles, is seen as just this mountain of a man. And what does James tell us? He was a guy just like you and me. But yet when he prayed, it was powerful and effective. And if we look at the example James gives, we start to ask questions about the, the way that we pray ourselves. Think of it this way. When we pray general prayers, you're probably going to get general results. And let me share a, a general prayer that we all pray. Dear God, give me a good day. There's nothing wrong with that prayer. It's a good prayer. But the question is, was it a good day? Well, I don't know. Your standard of a good day and my standard of a good day are probably two different things. There was probably good parts of the day and there was probably bad parts of the day. James says, look, Elijah, when he prayed, it was, it was specific that it would not rain for three and a half years and God showed up. So when we pray generally, we get general results. If we pray specific prayers, we often get specific results. And then I would take it one step further and I would say when we pray bold prayers we get bold results. If we're content to pray for a good day, which there is nothing wrong, I think you should pray for that. But if that's all we want to pray for, it's going to be really difficult to see God show up in a normal way. Because for most of us in the entire world, Christian or not, we generally have good days. We have running water and automobiles and airplanes and all these things that human history has never had before. I mean, we're doing pretty well. But if you want to see God show up in the way that you pray, can I just encourage you to pray bold prayers? I want you to think for a moment, what's the boldest thing you could ask God for? What is it? Like the restoration of your marriage? A, a better job? A, a son or a daughter who maybe doesn't follow the Lord? Like what's the biggest thing? If, if Jesus was right here with us today, which he is, what would you ask him for? Do you know what that is? 
Have you prayed for that? I mean, my bold thing that I'm asking right now, and and it'll probably change by the end of the week, but I'm praying that God would give me an opportunity to share uh, the good news of Christ with a guy I'm working out with. I barely know his name, let alone anything else. So that's going to take some working on God on his heart and some working on God in my heart to enable for that to happen. That's what I'm praying this week. You may say, well, that's not that big a deal. Actually, it probably is because I don't think he knows the Lord at all. And how do you start that conversation? And what do you do with that? What would you pray? Can I just encourage you to do this? If you have a bold prayer, if you want to think about it, would you uh, take a picture of this phone number, 765-246-8552? Would you be willing to text in this week what your bold prayer is? And us as a church, we'll pray together for these bold prayers. Because when you pray specifically, when you pray in bold ways, it seems like God, I don't know if we just haven't been paying attention the other times or what, but he just works in some incredibly powerful ways. And so that's what we do this week. And I hope next week we'll be able to come back and say, man, God showed up in this way. And he may have answered a yes, but he may have answered a no. And whether that's around a job or a circumstance or what it is, I don't know how God's going to work. But I think sometimes we limit ourselves when we're content to pray for general things. Elijah prayed in some pretty incredible, for incredible things, and God worked. And he says he was just a human being just as we were. Well, at the end of Rescue 911, William Shatner would come back onto the TV, and he would tell everybody, he'd say, hey, make sure you know your local number, and if you don't have 911, make sure for sure you know your number. And that everybody had a part to play in this. Like if we would all pay attention to our neighbors, everybody would be safer. And it was just a feel-good message of some sort. Until you hear what happened. Based on viewer letters and calls to the show, some 350 people were saved by that show. Some 350 people didn't end up on rebar, didn't end up in a hole, didn't knew how to start CPR. All because people were willing to share where they were at. And that was the kind of the magic of that show is it kind of ignited in our nation just an ability for people to try and help. And I think that James is calling us to do the same thing. Know what to do when things go wrong. When there's trouble, start praying. When things are well, praise God. When somebody's sick or struggling with sin, man, get some people around them and start to pray. And then the last part we see here is in verses 19 and 20, and it doesn't make much sense. Because James says this, my brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sin. If you've been following along, James is like, pray, praise, pray, confess, pray some more, pray bigger. And then it's like, what's this part about? Like, what's he doing? In Christianity right now, probably the latest buzzword is called deconstruction, where people are deconstructing their faith. And some deconstruction is actually really good. If you have a a bad belief or a bad understanding of the gospel or legalism or prosperity gospel or an incorrect understanding of grace, it's good to deconstruct that and to get a picture of what God's really like. But the reality is, is that there are people deconstructing or literally walking away from the faith. We should not be surprised by this. Paul told Timothy, in the last days, people will abandon their faith. So we shouldn't be surprised by it. But what do we do? Paul told the Corinthians that we are ministers of reconciliation and ambassadors. 
If there's a problem with a country, with another country, they, they aren't playing nice together, who do they send? They send an ambassador, right? The, Paul uses the phrase that we're literally ministers of reconciliation. And James says, wait a minute, if you know of somebody who's wandering from the truth, go after them. That's the last thing to do. If you know of somebody who's wandering from the truth, if, if someone is walking away from their faith, go after them. Do it in a loving, winsome, kind way. You're going to treat them just like you'd treat anybody else who doesn't know the Lord, which is with love, patience, and grace. And you may say, well, why does James do this? Like, this makes no sense. It was just pray, and then we're just supposed to pray, and I was good with that, but now why this? I think James experienced this in real time. We know from early on in the Gospels that Jesus' family at times thought he was nuts. And most scholars believe that James actually didn't believe Jesus until the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 actually says that Jesus, when he first appeared, he appeared to the women and he appeared to Peter. Then he appeared to 500 people. Then he appeared to James. And then he appeared to Paul. I think James, as he's concluding his time of like all the ways that he's going to try to help people, I think he's hearkening back to the fact that he was away from God. He wanted nothing to do with Jesus, his own brother. But I think he also understood and knows what it feels like to have somebody come after him and to help him. I'm reminded of the words of Jude chapter 1, verse 22, that says, be merciful to those who doubt. And if you find yourself today and you're like, man, Tyson, this prayer stuff's weird. I don't understand any of that. If you're like, I'm not sure about this, Jesus, can I just tell you that's okay? I was there once too. And have been there a couple times since. And your doubts don't negate the fact that, that that's a real thing. But for all of us, our call is to be merciful to those who doubt. And so absolutely, if you know of someone wandering from the faith, go after them and do it in a loving way. If you are in trouble, pray. If you find yourself happy, sing songs of praise. If you're sick or in sin, ask for help. And if you know of somebody wandering from the faith, go after them. Well, I'd like to close and just be like, that was fun. See you next week. But we can't just talk about prayer and not actually pray, right? That's like, okay, check. We did that. No, we we actually got to pray. You may be like, I've never prayed a day in my life. I'd be like, okay, time to start. Prayer is simply talking to God or simply listening to what he might want to share with you. We, we, we're going to take a time here in just a minute to pray together. And praying together can seem even more weird because it's like, wait a minute, what do we do? You're, I'm going to pray and you're going to pray with me. And like, as a kid, I always thought this was like nap time, right? You just check out for about three minutes. I'm hungry. I'm sure you're hungry. Let's think about lunch. Let's think about anything else. Let me just give you a, a tip of what I do when we pray together. When somebody prays up front and I'm easily distracted, if somebody's praying about forgiveness... I always ask myself a question to whatever they're praying. So if somebody's like, God, thank God for your forgiveness and your love and your grace and your mercy, I always ask myself the question, is there anything I need to ask for forgiveness for? Somebody's praying for somebody who's sick. Like, God, do I even care that somebody's sick? And I found that if you'll turn those statements into questions, God will flood your heart with what you need to work on. And he will flood your heart with all that needs to happen. And it's true, you can pray right alongside and pray the same thing, but as, as we close our time in prayer today, can I just challenge you to maybe do that 
ask yourself some questions. If somebody else is praying next week and you're sitting there and like, do I check out, think about lunch, what do I do? Just start asking those questions and God will, in his own way through his spirit, you'll be amazed at how he'll start to bring up things that you need to ask for forgiveness for. He'll bring up things of where maybe we don't line up quite with what he wants. So I'm going to close our time in prayer and give you just a few moments to pray together as well. Uh, Wes and, and the team are going to come up and they're going to sing a song. And during that song, if you'd like somebody to pray for you, we don't do this very often, but I'd encourage you just to come on down. We'll pray for you right now. If you see somebody come on down, I'd encourage you to pray for them. You don't need to know their name, their, their, what's going on. Just, just pray for them. And if maybe that makes you feel super uncomfortable, I get it. We'll stick around afterwards and, and pray some more. Let me close our time and give you just a few moments to pray and I'll, I'll close our time here in just a second. God, we are uh, grateful for the chance that we can come to you today. And we know that's only by Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross that we're even able to approach you. And so we thank you for that. God, we do thank you for the grace and love and forgiveness that's possible through Jesus alone. And God, I pray today that if somebody doesn't know you, that God, you'd give them the courage to step up and ask questions. Not because we have all the answers, God, but because you do. God, we recognize today that we are sinful people who left to our own are prideful, arrogant, boastful. And so God, I pray that you'd help us to be a people that recognize that we can't do anything apart from your goodness and grace. That God, we'd be a kind of people who, when things go wrong, our first response would be to seek you. When things go right, our first response would be to seek you. When things go wrong and somebody's sick or struggling with sin, God, that we would ask for help first and foremost for you, but then also the the imperative there is that we would do it together. So God, I pray for my brothers and sisters today, knowing that some of the people here are struggling with incredibly difficult things, marriages that are struggling and sickness that's impending. And so God, I pray that you would work in a way that ultimately is in accordance with your will. But God, we are told that we don't have because we don't ask. And so I pray that you would work in and through our prayers today for the things that we're asking. God, I pray that you Help us to share our bold request with each other so that we can pray for each other this week. And that God, by the time we come back together next week, we'll be able to see once again your faithfulness and love. In Jesus' name, amen. If you were encouraged by today's talk and believe it would be helpful for others, please be sure to subscribe or share. To experience other messages or find helpful resources, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com.